Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Chris Opshore to talk about the management or managing the profitability of borrows and gilts. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thank you really much for the invitation, and I'm looking forward to talk with you about this topic. Could you start off by giving us a little bit of an update here on what, what do you do uh, with Topigs, and how did you get into the pork industry? Uh, thank you, Matthew. Um already 43 years old and almost 22 years uh, working in the pig business as in the industry, but honestly, the first signs uh, already start when I was just a kid at four years old. I paint uh, and draw already cows and pigs and, 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 and tractors. So they uh, sent me away to agricultural business school. And uh, I did that in my uh, past. I also go already abroad to Canada to do my internship. And uh, later on, I started the feed company. And the feed company was responsible for a part of the Netherlands to sell feed, but also give technical support on sow farms, finishing farms, liquid feeding, dry feeding, whatever. And later on, I, uh, I was uh, blessed to make the shift to Topics. Now we are Topics Northfin. And I was part of the management team in the Netherlands first. And later, I get the opportunity to become the manager of Global Nutrition Services. And Global Nutrition Services of Topics Northfin is a team of worldwide members also in the U.S., and Brandy Jacobs is helping me there to really design, develop, maintain manuals. And in those manuals, there are uh, requirement advisors, management advisors for topics Northwind Genetics to help our customers worldwide to unlock uh, our genetic potential. And I'm responsible for the last six years of this team. And we really did a nice job on growing this team because today... We work with almost 20 people worldwide. And I can tell you 15 years ago, when I entered Topic Northfin, we just start with three. So mm-hmm. also the breeding company, Topic Northfin, really pay attention uh, to nutrition and to explain our customers how to do the best with our genetics. No, that's great. A great background. Thanks for giving us a little bit of that. And for those of you who are listening, this is going to be a little bit more technical in how we dive into this. But don't worry, when we get towards the end, we're going to wrap things up and really break down what can be taken away from this. So if you feel like you're getting a little lost in some of this, don't worry, we'll be bringing it back around at the end. So to kind of start things off, we're looking at the managing the profitability of borrows and gilts. Uh, What is the difference in gilts and borrows when it comes to feed conversion, all of that? What are some of the things you found in your research with Purdue and and uh, what we know as an industry today? I think, first of all, everybody knows maybe somewhere in their mind that we talk about uh, 
barrows and guilds, but we should first start with boars and guilds because the barrow was just a boar. And then we know that from statistics, but also from protein deposition studies and also from a genetic background, that we know and we expect difference in protein deposition, in lipid deposition, feed intake patterns, and also feed to gain. And indeed, what you mentioned, Matthew, what do we see for differences in feed conversion uh, rates? That is more over between 0.1 to 0.12 when we see indeed in later states of the animal. So there is something really to gain in the past of in the last part of the finishing uh, part that we can really see that there is something to gain or profit on feed cost or feed use. Yeah, you're seeing it across the board that there there are opportunities to gain in regards to looking at them independently, right? Yeah. And it is, of course, uh, you need to follow, of course, these kind of animals critically. And that was also the same what we did in the study at Purdue, but also in our own data sets and research farms, that you have to know that by line, by genetic product, but indeed by sex and by following them really from a bird up to the slaughterhouse. And because of we doing that for breeding uh, purposes and objectives, we also could be able to, to follow these kind of predictions, but also calculations and see that later in trials. And then, yeah, you came every time back on that point 0.1 on average, but especially in the last phase, that point even point 0.22. And I think for a lot of hog farmers, is that really interesting? Because, yeah, do we already adapt on that behavior or can we save something there? Or what is there for hidden profits? Yeah, and you're getting to a point where you can basically do predictive modeling on the profitability of bores, boros, gilts at this point, correct? Exactly. Because if you want to set up your feed program on one hand to save costs by just making a cheaper diet or looking for the least cost price formulation, I think that is a well-known technique. But on the other hand, we try, and also my team, to explain the market, what are genetically the differences, of course, between lines, but what are the differences between sexes and what kind of potential is there, then we know that we have boars with the highest protein deposition, then we get the gilts and then we get castrates. However, castrates and gilts, they can a bit uh, uh, be competitive on protein deposition, but for fat deposition, we see a real differences. So the most profit to gain is to avoid a too high fat deposition by techniques, by different diets, or by running a feed curve or a feed program. But if we look back to if you are able to predict or able to follow that pattern during the finishing period, you are also able to predict a nice feed program. And then there are differences visible between lysine levels per pound, but maybe also energy levels. And so when you're investing in the differences of sex, I mean, you're, there's so many variables at play, but it's, it's important to know your variables that you're working with, right? I mean, it may or may not be profitable, but it's important to be calculating this all together. And I mean, at Purdue, I think it was like a 5 to 10% difference in feed intake is what you saw. Was that correct? Correct. If we saw that uh, trial that we have done together with Kallenbach in the past, 2013, we saw a 7% feed intake indeed. And then we talk about the period 56 to 160 days, more or less. 
So that means not wing to finish, but honestly after the nursery period. We saw also that growth rates of castrates were really higher. And yeah, that has to do with also that feed intake. Um, and between lines, we did not saw that many uh, differences in feed conversion, but with castrates, they had a really higher feed conversion than gilts. And then you can talk about where does the gain uh, end up. And if you see a feed conversion is higher and feed intake is higher and gain is higher, then you should have a, a, a residue or what is then the effect or the product of that. And then we saw in those trials as well that carcass grading was really different. And then we saw that castrates, of sorry, barrows really tend to have a higher backfed level. And then you came on the area. What is beneficial for the farmer? What is beneficial for the packer? Or what could be together beneficial when you combine that? Yeah, what do you get paid for? And so, like, I mean, in summary right there, right, the barrows <laughs> are growing faster, but their yes. feed conversion rate is worse. And depending yes. on what the packer is looking for, it may or may not, you may or may not get paid less for the composition of the carcass. Is that correct? Exactly, because if the packers say, thank you very much, and I do not have a problem with a bit more fat, then the disadvantage of that lower meat percentage compared to gilts will not make the big money for the farmer or for the hog, uh, hog farmer. Uh, but then the only thing is that we see some differences from castrates to gilts in a higher feed conversion, what might cost with the actual feed prices around four and a half or almost 4.8 US dollars. And then you can say, when I can manipulate my diet to get less fat deposition, would that also help me on a lower feed conversion? And therefore, I can gain some money. So it's, for US packers, it's knowing, or not US packers, US producers, feed cost packer preferences, facility cap capabilities within your facilities to even split diets, labor required to split sex. All of those things need to be considered, correct? That's 100% correct, Matthew, because what I always advise to customers worldwide that you should make first a kind of proposal. What can I win and what can I lose? If we talk with veterinarians, if we talk with less mixing as possible because of health status per litter. And what can you gain from that compared to what you might lose on meat percentages or the advantages or the disadvantages of castorates. And you put now into account the feed conversion with the really crazy high feed prices nowadays. At the end, that should bring you to a, to, to a decision to do split feeding or even split sexes in the finishing house, yes or no. So if we're splitting sex, but not splitting diet formulations, we're just wasting time, right? Uh, to be really, I will say careful, and I will honor all the people who do that job. <laughs> but um, to be honest, yes. Because if you do not adapt on the higher fat deposition, and you do not chase the gilts for a higher protein deposition, to be honest, then you still 
have your disadvantages of the feed conversion and a possible meat percentage uh, situation. Yes. So what what should producers be asking themselves? What questions? What should they be considering? We've already hit on a couple, but what what should they be considering? But then also, what should be? How can they really screw this up? If you really were to go and and split things up and and address this, what kind of people do they need to be getting involved to make sure that they don't make things worse in trying to uh, take advantage of the opportunity that that does exist? A very good question, Matthew. Thank you. Um, I think then they have to have a kind of management meeting with the packer who pay at the end uh, uh, their income. Um, is there information at the packer already available between grading, between guilds and, and barrows? What is available around the mill or around the farm on raw materials? The veterinarian for the farm should speak and see what kind of health risks can I how you say it, avoid or yeah. maybe lower by less mixing and keep the litters by litter in the finishing house and get gain back and overall feed conversion back or when you have to split, what are the risks in that? And then the fifth point is, how is my farm equipped? Can I change feed lines or do I need to reset my production setup that I maybe uh, go from a week system to a two-week system or a three-week system that I can stock my finishing barns differently so I have the possibility to feed them different. Gotcha. And so one thing I'd like to share, because it's it's on a screen that I'm able to see, is the value at the end of the day that can come from this. I mean, in euros, at a later date, we're Feed prices weren't nearly as high as what they were. Mm-hmm. The value that a borrow would gain on a gilt in regards to growth was an additional U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. But on a meat composition or a percentage and a feed conversion rate, they're losing nearly $6. And so your, your net gain on a gilt or net loss on a borrow was about $5 U.S., on previous feed prices that were most likely much lower than what they are today. And so that's the opportunity, right? It would be $5 walking out the door every time you every time you sell. So what will it cost to gain back that $5? And is there profitability? Is there a net gain there or a net loss in that cost to gain back that $5? And that, that's the question, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, you always need to be careful that farmers do not have only the barrows. So if you have uh, to deliver per year, per thousand sows, uh, 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 25,000 finishers, uh, of 2,500, sorry. But if, no, not sorry, I'm I'm right. 25,000 finishers, there's always a a whole 50% will will, will, will be barrows. So this profit is always half, of course, but yes. it 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 need to be reconsidered, and especially with these high feed prices, because feed conversion, what you already say, Matthew, is one of the biggest points, and it can be 
yeah, how can you say sure. it can be supported by a good grading price, right? And that is also an efficiency in the whole chain. Correct. No, that's, that's great. That's a great point. Don't go back, pull out the calculator and take your entire finishing spaces and do it by $5, right? Yeah, do it by just your borrows. Yeah. Not all the gilts as well. That's a, that's a, seems like a simple, like a silly mistake, but it's a simple one that'd be very easy to make. Exactly. So at, kind of wrapping up here, one thing I ask guests, because this has been great. I think this is something very clear and, uh, and, and spelled out that producers need to be thinking about. Uh, they need to be looking at this research data that's coming out that really spells out in more detail the differences between borrows and gilts and how they might be able to be more precise in the way that they're managing not only the growth of animals, but the cost associated with that growth. But a couple of questions I like to ask at the end unrelated would be what's something about you that most people you work with do not know? And what's a golden nugget, a, a bit of life wisdom that you'd like to share with listeners? What do us? <laughs> What people don't know about me? Hmm. Yeah, that's a nice question, Matthew. Um, I think in the US, they don't know that I bike a lot, run a lot, and try to spend my private time really <laughs> sportive. Although I like meat, and I like a lot of meat, and I like to travel, and I like to have a real draft of beer. And I still thinking back of my time in the US some years ago, when I was sitting on the river somewhere in... Uh, uh, in South Dakota, I think, and we had a really, really nice half a liter beer and a big steak, and I will never forget that, and I'm waiting to come back to the U.S. to test that again. And that is what not many people know. Um, and yeah, about that golden nugget, what I say, yeah, I, I, I like the, 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 the sentence, Matthew, that uh, prophecy is a gift and not a matter of skills. Hmm. Prophecy. How 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 do how do you how do you see that and apply that? Now and nowadays, I think, and you're also familiar with that, that a lot of people say, "Can you tell me something about the future? How does it go with the feet of the future? Uh, what does it really mean? All those things around us. Do you think it goes in in more fiber-rich diets? Does it? Do you think it go all to other crude protein diets? What do you think about uh, the, the hot pond of meat consumption in the next 15 years? And when I see all those figures and all those predictions, I could almost say, uh, Matthew, that I said, if you, are a if you are really blessed by prophecy gifts, I think you can maybe give better answers than all those uh, calculations. I think the whole audience did also not predict uh, the, the, the really sad uh, uh, story in, in Ukraine and Russia. I think we all did not expect COVID. And if we look to the last three years, how we have Python with that, how we yeah. try to survive and also in our industry, and I can say in our beautiful uh, uh, pig industry, yeah, I have really respect for our, uh, our pig farmers out there and how they deal with this. And I hope that we, you and me, but also with these kind of advisors and, and, and stuff, we can support them, we can encourage them to go on and help them to uh, to make a more uh, profitable business, but it's hard, really hard. And I, uh, yeah, I am really happy and willing to serve them to do the best. But then I say, you can better be a prophet and uh, eh, and blessed by prophecy, than um, yeah, and try to predict because it's really difficult. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And I really appreciate you being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. You taking the time to share this with listeners and. We thank you for your time. Thank you, Matthew. It was really a pleasure to do. And uh, I hope we maybe see you again. Yeah.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.